This is Speaking of Writers. I'm Steve Richards, and we wrap up our series on the ending of World War II with Donald Ibor's book, The Mighty Eighth, Masters of the Air Over Europe, 1942 to 1945. It is the perfect companion to the upcoming Masters of the Air series on Apple TV+. This is the superbly illustrated examination of the aircraft, pilots, crews, and operations of the U.S. US 8th Air Force, known as the Mighty 8th, was a combat air force activated in Georgia on January 28, 1942. Its bomber command soon moved to northern Europe to conduct strategic bombing missions against Hitler's Reich. Among the major operations it participated in were Operation Point Blank, Big Week in February 1944, the D-Day landings in June of 44, and the defeat of the Luftwaffe and destruction of German industry. It was the largest of the deployed combat army air forces in numbers of personnel, aircraft, and equipment. Donald Nybor lives in Owen Sound, Canada. His previous works on World War II include Cockpit, an illustrated history of World War II aircraft interiors, Gunner, an illustrated history of World War II aircraft turrets and gun positions, Cockpits of the Cold War and Graphic War, The Secret Aviation Drawings and Illustrations of World War II, and Donald has also written articles for Flight Journal, Aviation History, and Aeroplane Monthly. Happy to have Donald Nybor join me now here on Speaking of Writers. Donald, welcome to this program. Yeah, glad you had me. So what led you to the Mighty Eighth as a subject? Well, it was uh, through Osprey Publishing. I've uh, published a number of of, uh, books for Osprey over the last uh, 10, 15 years, and uh, I've been working with them uh, on, on a number of dual series and uh, things of that nature. Uh, and they approached me um, last before the beginning of last summer, last year, about uh, putting together a book on the uh, history of the 8th Air Force. And this project involved taking all the source material that Osprey has in their collection, because they have thousands of books, um, and they also have quite a few uh, uh, books on the European air war uh, during the Second World War. So my task was to take all that existing material that they have and create a narrative showing the history of the 8th Air Force in the Second World War. So it was a project that I had never done before because, uh, and also there were portions I had to actually do some writing because the the material had to, you know, have bridges and, and, uh, you know, have a, a coherent narrative going from point A to point B, of course. So using that source material, um, I was able to show and, and, and illustrate um, history of the 8th Air Force from its inception till its final final few days in the uh, European Air War. This is a fully illustrated book, The Mighty 8th, Masters of the Air over Europe, 1942 to 1945, exploring... Uh, the 8th Air Force bomber, fighter, and recon planes, and the incredibly brave airmen and hardworking ground crews as well. So who were these men of the Mighty 8th, Donald? Geez, uh, a lot of really young guys. Um, you know, I, I find it hard sometimes when I see uh, young men who are in their early 20s today and imagine them, um, you know, living on a bomber base, uh, either flying a B-17 or a P-51 or a P-47, uh, 21, 22, 23 years of age, some even a little bit younger, uh, ground crew who are uh, just as young, 
uh, you know, living in England or traveling for the first times in their lives, um, you know, and joining the Air Force, part of it for uh, uh, romantic reasons and um, uh, patriotic reasons as well. Um, and, you know, not really knowing what they were getting themselves into, but uh, to, you know, live and fight in a sort of a unique situation where, you know, you could be in a cockpit of a bomber over Germany for eight hours, and then you fly back, fly back to your base in England, and then maybe have two days to relax and, and, and live a relaxed lifestyle. So you were, you were flying to the front line and then flying back and then living a sort of a comfortable life, going to the pub, there were dances, there were women, uh, you could have, you know, a two-day pass to London, those type of things. And then you'd supplement that with, you know, hours of, of, of combat in a, in a B-17 or a P-51 Mustang. The contrast was quite remarkable. And what was their training like? Training was extensive. So, you know, a pilot or a navigator, uh, that could take up to a year of training. Uh, some took two, depending on, you know, the demand for pilots and air crew at the time. So at the very beginning of the war, they would shorten, they shorten the training syllabus so they could get more pilots and more air crew into, into the frontline squadrons. And as they moved into 43 in 1944, now that all the, the, the schools were up and running and uh, the, the training systems were well in place, uh, beginning of 1945, they, they, were, they had a surplus of pilots and air crew uh, in the system. So what they would do is they would sort of lengthen the, 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 the training syllabus a little bit so that they didn't have, uh, you know, a, a bunch of guys sitting around doing nothing. So the training was extensive, one to two years for a pilot, a little bit less for navigator. Uh, uh, air gunners, they spent probably maybe weeks in training. Um, but it was intensive. It was comprehensive. Um, and it showed in the <clears throat> in their ability and 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 their and their and the results of, of of that training. So you've written, as I said in the introduction, a few illustrated books, and this one packed with dozens of intricate color aircraft profiles, vivid battle scene artworks, technical illustrations, tactical diagrams, period photographs and charts as well. As you went through all of this material, getting it ready for this book. What surprised you the most about the Mighty Eighth? It's just the the the, the sheer uh, you know will of of putting uh, uh, such a large organization together. And of course, strategic bombing at the beginning of the Second World War was a was a concept. It was a theory. It was it wasn't it wasn't tried. It, they didn't they didn't know if it was going to work. Um, and so. Here they set up this large organization with uh, uh, bomb groups and fighter squadrons and and supply depots and fuel dumps and and I mean the number of airfields that they constructed uh, in in England I think it was well over ninety uh, and then they also used existing RAF bases as well and you know that took you know millions of tons of concrete and engineers and workers and and just a sheer scale of of an operation. Uh, to you know, get six, seven, eight hundred bombers into the air, uh, you know, every other day, uh, weather permitting, of course, and and then and then to fly, you know, combat missions, come back, rest, do it again. Um, 
and also the 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 adaptation uh, of the commanders uh, and their ability to see what was working and what wasn't working, and and also to, to come to agreement on on strategy and tactics and how you know those things were were welcomed and and um, encouraged throughout the system to make it work better. There was no sort of there was a bit of an tragedy in some respects. I mean, the biggest one, of course, was the idea that, you know, the self-defending bomber would always get to the target and it didn't need fighter escort. But they learned that hard lesson in August and October of 1943. And then they went, okay, so this is what we have to do to, uh, you know, improve uh, the system by strapping more uh, drop tanks to the P-38 and the P-47. And then, of course, with the introduction of the P-51 Mustang in 44 December, uh, they were able to extend their fighter escort range even a little bit farther. So knowing what was working, what wasn't working, finding solutions to the problems, and then, you know, adjusting. And, and the sheer bravery of these guys. I mean, I, I can't imagine, you know, uh, sitting in a P-47 or P-51 Mustang cockpit for seven or eight hours uh, over hostile ter- territory, uh, you know, worrying about how, if you have enough gas to get home, worrying about getting shot at by flak, worrying worrying about getting shot at by enemy fighters, and then going in and doing, you know, the fighting uh, on their own as well. So, you know, that the, the tenacity, the, the bravery, the the uh, you know the, the ability to sh- uh, soldier on, um, and also you know, again, you know, the military apparatus recognizing, you know, what was needed. So early on, they began to see that the air crews were, uh, you know, dealing with uh, psychological stresses of combat, uh, and they recognized these things, and they set up rest camps um, for pilots to take a week of leave or air crew to take a week of leave so they could, you know, collect themselves and, and uh, you know, get themselves away from the combat and then that way they, the crews could be refreshed and come back because again uh, the amount of time it took to train these guys they were you know an incredibly valuable asset uh, to have so you wanted to you know keep these guys flying as long as possible the book is the mighty eighth masters of the air over europe 1942 to 1945 the author donald Nybor, and by the way, you can connect online with Donald. He's got a website, Donald Nybor. Now it's spelled N I J B O E R dot com. Donald Nybor dot com. Donald, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, no worries. I, I appreciate you uh, giving me a call. And the book again is The Mighty Eighth Masters of the Air Over Europe, 1942 to 45, by Donald Nybor. And this is Speaking of Writers.